this, uh, we're going to tell this conversations uh, with pastor. And while I'm talking, I'm trying to get to my reading history in my Bible here. This is something I wanted to share. So uh, before we even start, so if you have questions about anything I share on Sundays or in general, anything about your spiritual life, your walk with God or the scriptures, if you have technical questions, I'm going to let you answer. I'll answer that afterwards because we, we really we want spiritual content. If it's a good technical question that has to do with your walk with God, good. But, you know, just Bible trivia, let's, let's do something besides that because you know what I'm saying. Y'all get that, right? So anyway. If you have serious questions, let's just talk and, and no questions off the, off the chain are wrong. It's just questions are questions. I don't think they're stupid questions. Questions are questions and questions deserve an answer. So feel free and we'll have somebody with a microphone that'll walk around in just a little bit if you have any questions. So think about anything you want to know about and we just want to talk about. If I don't have the answer, we've got several staff team that will stand up on the spot and give the answer, right, staff team? So. Well, one thing I before I'll start this with this. I do think we're living in a pivotal time. Uh, I, I listened to a 23 minute, 24 second video today. It was really interesting this morning. The guy's thesis is that Jesus could be coming back more quickly than we really realize. And the Essenes, who were uh, esoteric, uh, mystical kind of people, uh, and uh, that that were really dominant in a couple of centuries, uh, just before and right after uh, Jesus' birth. And um, uh, I think their writings are also found with the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1949. So there's some things that have been popularized, and they found some calendars that the Essenes uh, that the Essenes created that are different than the Hebrew calendar than the Gregorian calendar. And I don't want to get too far in the weeds here. I've already gone further than I meant to. But um, anyway, their thesis was that uh, based on the calendars that they presented many, many years ago. Every single thing that they have shown in their calendars that are life-dominating events with God came to pass pretty much when they said they would. And they're talking about the second coming of Christ. And when you listen to the information, come up to me afterwards. I can forward the video to you if you're interested. They said, uh, according to this calendar, we're in the season of Jesus coming. Now, I think that's cool. So, you know, and I hear that from various sources. You probably feel that in your heart. Uh, the way I do, the world has changed in the last two years. In fact, two years ago, March uh, 15th, we, I mean, the world shut down. And, uh, you know, really hadn't gotten back to normal yet. I'm not sure it's going to get back to the normal it was. So I want to talk about that for a second because, uh, and I've encouraged you to get ready and to prepare. I have a lot to say. There's a lot of weeds I could get into, but I don't want to get into all of them. Uh, if you've got pertinent, specific questions about things, come to me afterwards. But let me make some generalized statements. From what I can see in what is happening worldwide with the pandemic and the way that it has been dealt with in every country and continent, including the United States, we should have reason to think and believe that the apparatus that has been used to control people groups and nations, that apparatus that many nations have used in varying ways and that the World Health Organization and other organizations in, in pertinent countries have used, that same apparatus that has kept people back and them demanding that we have... Um, a vaccine passport, you may or may not think that's a good idea. You may be a person, you're watching, think it's a great idea. Uh, and, you know, everybody should be vaccinated, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The big problem with this is your human will. 
when somebody asks you to do something that you would personally rather not do because of your personal belief system and somebody forces your hand to do what you don't really care to do but you have to or you relinquish freedom. You get it? So, so that kind of thing, it should be of concern to every living person on earth in every nation and on every continent. That is the spirit of Antichrist manifesting. So second step beyond that is the vaccinations are not the mark of the beast. All right. However, however, the apparatus is set up for all these things to happen. And it's uncanny and strange that I'm even having to say this. So I'm gonna go back to that in a second and maybe address it a little poquito, small, a little bit. Um, but uh, let me make some generalized comments because of what we're dealing with, the instability of the world in general. Um, it is, it, you would be exercising great wisdom to have a stash of stuff at home. That means food, a way to have um, uh, drinkable water, uh, and, and a way to, you know, for instance, I, I got a little show and tell here. So I just got this in today based on all I'm talking about. So I'm going to show my new little apparatus. So you need things that, you know, if the electricity goes off, you need to make contact. There's a, there's a solar charger. Check it out. It cost me 48 bucks. It'll charge phones, iPads, computers. Uh, I think it's uh, 25,000. What does M-A-H stand for? Anybody? What? What? Is it megahertz? Whatever. But anyway, it's really powerful. So anyway, you need things like this. I've got a stash of food at home. And, um, you know, I've got food that can last. It's got a long shelf life and all that. And I've eaten these kind of things. I've eaten these kind of things on the missions field. Uh, they're dehydrated foods. You can add water to them and, and eat. But, you know, we're, we're dealing in a time that anything could happen at any time uh, with transportation, with the weather, with storms, and then with just man-made things that happen that we don't like, which that covers about everything. Uh, it's just really smart. Don't, don't wait to go to the grocery store. I, I, here's what I see people do. They go to the grocery store. Well, I got to eat tonight what I want. Got to get me a can of beans. Got to get me a can of corn. Got to get me some chicken. I need to go over here and get me some, uh, I need to go to the produce and, you know, get me some lettuce for a salad. And, and they do that every day. Don't, don't be the person that lives hand to mouth. If you are, you're going to get into trouble and have to ask for help or you'll be hungry at some point. Does that make sense? So if you need to be to fill in the blanks, be glad to do that. But again, a word to the wise. I've been saying this a long time. So just have a way to take care of your family. Uh, in fact, you know, practical. I'm Mr. Practical. I ride bikes on the Noose River Trail. I've got a road bike. I've got a mountain bike. And I can go long distances. And, but you know what I did? I have an electric uh, I have an electric apparatus that pumps up my tires every time I ride my bike. I went and got me a hand pump. Because the electricity goes out and something happens, I can ride my bike if I need to, right? So just be practical thinker, that's all I'm saying. Enough about that. I did want to bring this up, um, and this has come to me, and I keep thinking about it. So this afternoon, I just went to the book of Revelation. I've taught the entire book verse by verse. It's online if you weren't here. Uh, the whole book, verse by verse, on our website. And I've talked about this in great detail. But I want to read the scripture because we're living in a time period that this could actually come to pass now that the apparatus is set up for it to happen. 
And this is Revelation 13, verse 16. He is the person that the Bible terms as Antichrist, which will be uh, some semblance of a leader from the Middle East that will have something to do with Israel and their enemies somehow working together. He will gain control in some way. Eventually, it could be that in some way he dominates the entire world economically, uh, politically, and um, and and uh, what it's supposed to be, religiously. So uh, this says, verse 16, he causes all, both small and great. And this is New King James, rich and poor. That means everybody. Free and slave, regardless of what nation you're living in. To receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. Hmm. And that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. And of course, you know, then the next verse is 666, which, um, you know, there is an apparatus in Greek where you say something repetitiously for emphasis. For instance, the angels around the throne of God say, holy, holy, holy. But if you look in the original language, it's quoted nine times. Each one is three. So you got holy, 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 holy. So it says 6666 is the number of man which bespeaks imperfection. Seven is the number that relates to spiritual things, heaven and God, and that's perfection. So it could be that when it says 666, it will never be right. It will never be perfect. It will never be what God is. Or like some people say, it could be uh, it could be a number that represents all kinds of things, and I'm not getting into the weeds at all, except, you know, here's this is quoted several times in the Scripture. Here it is again, Revelation 14, 9, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or his hand, on his hand, he himself shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, uh, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. So there's something about this mark that if you take it, you're done. Spiritually, you're done. I mean, you can't get away from that. And I've looked every way up, down, backwards, forwards to find a way out of that. I can't find a way out. Uh, that if you take that, your, your, your spiritual goose is cooked. Done. Uh, 15.2 Revelation, and I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having hearts of God. So there are those that don't take it. They're smart enough not to do it. Great. That gives me, does that give you hope? So, uh, so it, the emphasis is clearly there. Then there's, I think, one other I'd read, which is, um, yeah. Uh, Revelation 20, verse 4, I saw thrones, they that sat on them. Judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls, and this is after Jesus has come back, the souls of those uh, who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now, I've done a little bit of research, and I really don't want to get too far into this, but it's so intriguing I've got a study I'm doing right now. It's really interesting to me. I've, I've just for years wondered, God, why would you, why would you just, you know, penalize someone who, who took that thing? What, what's the deal? So, so it, it must be something more than somebody saying, come here, you got to get this mark. No, no, I can't do the mark. No, no. And they grab you and put it in your arm. No, no, while you're screaming. No, no, it's got to be something more than that. You know, because God's fair, right? It's something with your heart, right? So 
And so there's a number of things. Uh, there are some people that believe that, for instance, um, the Islamic faith, uh, they have, the, uh, they have a, a, a saying, Allah is the only God and Muhammad is his messenger. And that's, the, and they have a, a, that, that's called a saying and they put it on their arms and they put it on their forehead. Uh, there are those that teach that that is the mark of the beast. It, may, it might be, I don't know. And then there are others, and I've um, been doing some research on this. It's very interesting. Uh, and now, now uh, looking at the clock. So here's the skinny. The skinny is, um, should I go here, Lord? I have read a dozen articles, listened to a number of videos saying the same thing by physicians, doctors, medical scientists who have done research. Uh, so let me talk about the vaccinations. And the vaccinations are not the mark of the beast, but they're seeking to integrate uh, metals into substances that they inject in the human body. And they're finding that they can manipulate the metals with certain things outside the body. Nah. Anyway, if you want to know what that certain thing is, come and ask me afterwards because I can tell you. Should I tell them? No, because it'll shock you. And if they can manipulate the metals, they're getting to the point it's nanoparticles that they're injecting. And they can literally, they can read your pulse, read your blood pressure, read your kidney output, read your uh, blood sugar level with these things. And, you know, that would be a positive use. A negative use would be they're trying to get it to... Um, to pass the blood-brain barrier and get in, and get embedded into the human mind, brain, physical brain, and then uh, put you into certain moods, cause you to become uh, palatable and controllable. Uh, those are serious things. And then with the mRNA, mRNA technology literally changes the DNA of a human. Now, I'm going to do a little bit with this, and if you want research, come see me. So the flood of Noah, I've known this for years, and I would direct you to Dake's Annotated Reference Bible. Genesis Finning's Dake uh, annotated or put notes beside every uh, scripture in the Bible. He started in 1949. I think it was finished in 1949 or so. He had a, a photographic memory, and that Bible is full of stuff, but this is in there, and you can find a lot about what I'm about to say. He also has a theology book that I read in 1977 and memorized large portions of called God's plan for man. You can also find that in digital form on Amazon. God's plan for man. Genis, J-I-N-I-S, Finnings, F-I-N-N-I-N-G-S, Dake, D-A-K-E. So, um, and others have said similar things, and I've read not just that one author, but other authors that have similarly said, uh, the flood of Noah was more than just people were doing bad stuff. Uh, literally, the reason God had to completely destroy the animals and the humans during the flood of Noah uh, was because the DNA was contaminated. And they were no longer humans the way he created them. The sons of God cohabited with the daughters of men. That means angels cohabited with women. Their offspring created giants, Rephidim, um, um, Zanzumin, uh, Nephilim, and there's about three or four names in the Old Testament to, for the races of giants. I did a research on that a few weeks ago. It was really insightful, and you can find it in extra-biblical history uh, that every continent, the archae and I used to want to be an archaeologist when I was young, uh, 
archaeologists have found the bones of, of um, giants on every continent, including North America, the center of our nation. Um, but it's been blocked from contact by most of us. It was in the Smithsonian, and they took it out. Now, go find out why yourself. I don't, whatever. I'm just saying uh, anywhere from 8 feet to 35 feet tall. Uh, In the Bible, uh, you'll find out that these giants, Goliath of Gath that David fought, was a giant man. Now, I think he was somewhere in the neighborhood of anywhere from 10 to 13 feet, according to who you read after, tall, which is quite foreboding and scary for the average person. I'm 6'3", and that would be pretty tall for me. That's double me. That's pretty big. You double me, you big boy, you know. So uh, anyway, um, the issue with it, they, they have no, the Old Testament says they have no resurrection. You know, the Old Testament and New Testament, Jesus taught it. Daniel 12 is clear that there's a resurrection of both the righteous and unrighteous Jesus in John chapter 5 mentions the resurrection of the righteous and the unrighteous. Revelation chapters 20 mentions the resurrection of both the righteous and unrighteous physical bodies from the grave at some point, two separate times. But the Bible is very clear that these giants have no resurrection. They have no resurrection body. Why? Because their DNA structure was tainted. They're not even human. They don't resurrect. Their bodies don't. So anyway, uh, could it be that something happens that contaminates the DNA structure of the human when whatever happens with this mark? It's enough to think about that you need to think 20 times plus before you even consider doing something with it. How many hear me? Enough said. So uh, we're living in an interesting day, and uh, I just see things are progressing a certain direction, and I don't know when all this is going to happen, and I'm not afraid of it. I'm just going to tell you that. Uh, It'll be a cold day in hell before I take that. And if that means I can't pay my mortgage, I can't go to the grocery store, I can't put gas in my car, uh, I've got to fend for myself and eat berries off a tree, whatever I got to do, uh, I'll eat manna from heaven, but I won't do that. So I do think we're going to be here for a period of time after that Antichrist person reveals himself in the Middle East, whether or not that affects us and how much it does is yet to be known. Uh, but we're going to go through some stuff as believers, and you need to be ready to defend what you believe, live for what you believe, stand up for what you believe, but don't kowtow to something you don't want to do. So the last two years shows us where we live, doesn't it? Doesn't it? And uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3 is very clear that there's a falling away from the faith that will happen. In fact, the verbiage of Scripture, I'll just read it. I know you know it, but I'm going to read it anyway, and I'm done with all this. Is that okay? Uh, here we are. Hang on, I'm getting there. Right here, here we are. This is New King James. Um, Let no one deceive you by any means for that day, that is Jesus coming, Jesus return, will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, speaking of this person, that is termed in the book of 1 John, Antichrist. So uh, falling away, the falling away is the Greek word apostasia. Obviously, what do you hear in apostasy? It's falling away from the faith. Um, So... Uh, this, some people, and Kenneth Wiest is a Greek scholar, 
he translates that the rapture of the church. I don't think it's the rapture of the church. I think, I think there's some people going to fall away from their faith because, uh, I mean, the stuff hits the fan and life is difficult and to calm their flesh and to just be able to live and say, well, God will love me if I do this or that. And, and they'll just walk away from God because they don't want to be persecuted. They don't want to die. They don't want to eat, yada, yada. So uh, this is a time to make sure that you have a strong faith that can be tested and challenged. And if you don't have a faith that can be tested and challenged, you may be one of the ones that fall away, and I don't want you to be. Is that good? So who has questions? Not about all that, but anything else. Well, okay, where's my microphone? Y'all come a-running. Put your running shoes on. There, there's one back here, then I'll get you next, Susan. Next is up here. Go ahead. Pastor, last week you mentioned that planning is important for our future. I feel so overwhelmed, and I feel as if I'm living day by day. How do I plan for the future when I'm just trying to make it through today? Uh, planning for the future, that's a broad topic. Are you talking about physically, financially? What, what, what are you referring to? Just in the way that our culture is right now, um, I believe that's how this person is asking this. You know, my encouragement is when I think about planning for the future, um, right, it's just really, we're, we're, we're uh, raising a generation of people that are coming through elementary, middle, high school, and college who are sensory oriented, who go and live by their feelings and, and they live for the moment and it's a dangerous way to live. Uh, we are erasing our histories in our nation, for instance, and we're rewriting a lot of things that have been standardized in human cultures, particularly American culture for the last 240 something years. So when I talk about planning for the future, here's what you do, sit back, and, and I say take a bird's eye view because a bird flies up and he looks over the whole terrain. I just bought a drone that I really enjoy flying and I put my phone on it and I can, when I put it up 100 feet high, I can see everything all around me. And uh, so, you know, do, you, do that with your life. Look at the past, the present, the future. You know, look at your relationships, where they're going, where they're taking you, um, what the people that you hang out with, believe what they're saying and where that is taking you in your personal life. And if it's not a road you want to, if it's not a road that will take you to heaven, get off that path. Uh, and then look at uh, your finances. How can I save? A, you know, anybody can save $1 bill. Uh, anybody can probably save a $20 bill. Find a way to save some money. Put some cash aside for future challenges. You say, well, I'm living hand to mouth. Believe God and ask him for extra. One key is tithe. Now, I'm not saying that because I'm a pastor and if you think, you think I am, don't give to our church. Give somewhere else. I'm not doing it for that reason. I said this before I was a pastor. I tithed when I was five years old and have ever since. Uh, but be a tither, be a giver. Don't be a hoarder. If you're a hoarder, you always lose out. The scripture says, given it shall be given unto you. Just the way it works. And that's a, there's a principle of seed, time, and harvest worked into creation. And if you work that principle in your life, I have never missed a crying dime I gave away. Ever, ever, ever. 
ever. And I've not even thought about the monies that I've given away. I give to others. I buy people clothes, buy people food, do things for people, even if it puts me out. And you know what? That's okay for me uh, because I know it always grows back. And y'all, it always does, right? So you want to do it financially, mentally, emotionally. You want to make sure you got the reserves to be able to handle the future. So I'm going to say this. I live... I put into everyday life what I want my future to be. And I, I really, honestly, I'm a kind of a strange person. Uh, it's my personality, I get it. But, um, you know, whatever I want in my tomorrow, I put in my today. So I have time with the Lord this morning when I first got up. I want coffee into my tomorrow, so I put it in my today. I'm kidding. You see, <laughs> so, uh, spend time with Susan. I communicate with my wife. I kiss my wife. I kiss Susan every day. And I hug her and tell her I love her because I want her to tell me she loves me tomorrow. Uh, and, you know, when my kids were at home, I had communication with them every day when they were young. I had dates with my daughters. That is, we went out and got ice cream or whatever. And I hung out with my son. And I still do those things text-wise. Now they're all grown and married and got children. But, you know, I do all that because what I do today uh, I want in my life tomorrow. What I want in my life tomorrow, I want in, I do today. So I have uh, mental time. I make sure I exercise my mind with reading. I make sure that I work hard. I want to work ethic. Because if you work hard, the Bible says God will bless everything set your hand to do. If you set your hand to nothing, he's got nothing to bless. So I make sure I work hard. Make sure I rest every day because I want that in my future. So you see what I'm saying? So make part of your day what you want in your tomorrow. So that means being thrifty and wise with your money, planning, saving. Go to the ant you sluggard. You know, Proverbs says, and be wise. They make room for, they make room for the uh, winter days by storing in the summertime. So we just need to be smart and wise. And uh, if we do that, then we'll make right choices and right decisions. It's not a day. Just think about today and what today brings me. And, and demon spirits are running strong today. And they're telling people to enjoy life right now. You deserve this. You deserve, a you deserve a break today. You deserve to sin today. You deserve to let your flesh have a fling today. You know, God will forgive you. Wipe your mouth. Ask God to forgive you. And you get to go do that tomorrow. So you go ahead and do that today. Now that's the devil. That's demon spirits. So you want to keep your mind strong. You want to keep your will strong. You want to keep your uh, emotions strong even at an even keel. You want to stay physically. I exercise. I'm, I'm going to get home tonight. Whatever time I get home, I'm going to walk two miles before I go to bed. That's what I do because I value my physical body enough. I'm almost, it's going to work as long as I'm in it. When it gets, quits work, working, let me go home to heaven. And that's just the way it is. So anyway, that's a long answer to a short question. She had something right here. Oh, wait a minute. He's got a quick, quick. Oh, me? I know it's okay. Okay, I had two things actually. So first thing <laughs> is, if you study Bible timeline, is it not supposed to be that Jesus comes back around 2,000 years after his death-ish? <laughs> Which would be like 2028 maybe because... If you guys will come up to me after, after the that's meeting... That's not technical. That's not technical. I know it's not. <laughs> I'm just going to say, there's a good answer to this and I was talking about the Essenes and their okay. calendar. So I uh, have a bunch of theology courses starting in 1977 and um, uh, theologians by and large agree that the Bible relates to 7,000 years of human history. 
all the way from the creation of Adam uh, to the new heavens and new earth entering into eternity. That span of time is about 7,000 years, 4,000 years. And if, I, I tell you, if you want this vid, uh, video, I, I'll send you the link. It's, that's a little bit technical, but it's so interesting and intriguing to me. So they, they figured out when, uh, in the Jewish calendar, when Adam was created based on Seth's age of 130 years in Genesis, whatever. And they backed that up, and that's when Adam was created. They figured it out. So anyway, interesting. Anyways, about 4,000 years of human history from the creation of Adam until um, the resurrection of Christ. And then from the resurrection of Christ, beginning of the church age, more or less 2,000 years of time. So that's four plus two, that's 6,000. And then, and, then and then there's a millennial reign, the 1,000-year reign of Christ spoken of in Revelation chapter 20 where Jesus rules until all of his enemies are put under his feet. And then, and that's a thousand, that's a long time. We'll be there, here, after, there with glorified body. After the, um, you know, after his, after his second coming, after the rapture, then the second coming. And, uh, and then there's that thousand year reign. And then the world change, the earth changes. Satan's let loose out of his pit, uh, tempts people who actually were born during the thousand year reign. There will be a race of natural people. And there will also be glorified body people, that be you and me at the rapture of the church, that will be ruling and reigning with Jesus for that thousand years. And then there will be people having babies during the thousand-year reign of Jesus. Now, it's all in the Revelation series, but they'll be here. And then there will be people that have never been tempted to sin the way you are. And longevity will be uh, given back again to the human race. And, uh, you know, a child will be 100 years old. It's clear. I mean, prosperity, health. And all of that, and longevity for the human race during the millennial reign of Christ. And then the Satan's let loose from his pit, and then he comes and tempts people. Then he's judged by the Lord Jesus. Then we enter into the new, cast into the lake of burning sulfur with the fallen angels and all that. And, uh, and then we enter into eternity. There's a new heavens and new earth that has no oceans, only land mass. And then the uh, new Jerusalem comes down from heaven, a city, uh, 1,500 mile cube, basically. Uh, and then we enter into eternity, which is just amazing. And you will be the bride of Christ, which means like a husband takes care or should take care of his wife, God will take care of you for eternity. Okay, How can you be sad with all that? Quickly, on a more personal note, okay. um, you you teach very well. You teach this and you tell us what to do. But I personally get hung up with um, falling into the comfort zone and mine is Netflix movies. Say, say that again. Netflix movies falling okay. into a comfort zone. Yes. I'm supposed to be uh, in the word of God. Yes. And I just keep falling and falling. And I'm sure other people do too. You go to a comfortable place. So you don't have to think. Yeah. Um, what is your suggestion? So to I have some that? veg time. Mental veggie time. Okay, I know, but if you have too much of it, you, you, you know, it could be a problem. But, you know, if all you do is think all day, and I promise, all I do is think all day, and I talk all day. And, uh, man, so I need some mental time where my mind just kind of, just kind of calms down. Uh, so, I, will I watch a movie? Absolutely. Uh, what are the criteria? It's got to be clean. So, I don't want to see two homosexuals kissing. I don't want to see, see two lesbians kissing. I don't want to see a man and woman fornicating. I don't want the movie to be based on a married man 
having an adulterous relationship with another woman. Uh, I don't want the movie, the basis and foundation of it being wrong because what that will do to me is desensitize me to what is wrong. But so there's some really good movies and we have to look for them. Uh, Susan and I, there's some of them we look at. um, No, anyway, we've got some apparatus we use and uh, and we look at some of these uh, series, but it's just gotta be clean. It's just gotta be clean. And there are ones that are clean. I don't like F-bombs everywhere. And so I don't, they got F-bombs in them, click. Because I don't like, you know what F-bombs are, right? Okay. I just don't like cussing. I don't like it. I used to cuss terrible. I just don't like it. It, it violates my mind. I don't want it. So. But anyway, does that make sense? So if you're really busy, you want to chill, I think that's okay. For me, I won't chill until I'm full of the word. If you're full of the word and you're prayed up, then, then you've got some permissions to chill a little bit. Don't chill if you're down and your word level's low because you're going to get into sin, my friends. Get real. Fill yourself up. Go ahead. Okay. Does, that, does that help? Does, okay. This right. is on kind of like on the heels of what um, Susan was asking. You said that when our cravings, temptations, this is based on your message last Sunday, um, when our cravings and temptations have not changed, that people are most likely not born again. What happens if I'm still tempted by these old habits? Does that mean that something's wrong with me? Yeah, I made it clear on Sunday that Having said, I said what I said, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3 verse uh, 9 is what I gave reference to, and I think it was in the Amplified New Testament, and here's the classic Amplified of, let me get to it, 1 John chapter 3 verse 9, there it is, 9, 9, no one born or begotten of God deliberately, knowingly, and habitually, see see that? That's clear. Practices sin. So what is that not talking about? That's not talking about someone who's wanting to live for God, but their flesh rises up and they, and they commit an act of sin. You know, maybe they lust after the opposite sex or, or maybe they use a slang word that they were accustomed to using in conversation with someone or they hit their big toe like I did Two weeks after I was saved and I had a whole string of those words come out. Well, that can happen, you know. So, yeah. But, but the idea is, yeah, you, you're going to slip up because you, um, you just have habit patterns in mind, habit patterns in emotion, habit patterns physically that you can slip up. Maybe somebody slips up and, you know, does whatever, you know, uh, maybe drinks, maybe does some dope, maybe, um, oh, my God, why did I do that? What's wrong with me? Can a person still be saved? Well, the issue is um, it's not deliberate, knowing, and habitual. It's a one-time deal. Maybe a person slips up and has an immoral event. Does God cast them away? No, they need to repent. The idea is I don't live that. See, that's different than a guy looking at a girl saying, I love you, and I want to suck the lips right off your face. And she says, I love you too. And I want to do that every day, all day, and all night. Let's move in together and we're not married. Now that, my friends, is deliberately, knowingly, and habitually practicing sin. Yes or no? So question, can a person be a believer and live together without marriage? So let me say this. I mentioned it Sunday, remember? 
If I, listen, I've met people, they've come to our church, they got four kids together and they ain't been married not with one kid. And they've been, they've been living together for 10 years and they got four kids in those 10 years. And suddenly they come to Jesus. Uh, and, and then they go back home, they got to take care of Susie and Joey and, and Lucy and uh, Bobby. And, you know, and they got to feed them and put them to bed and they're living at the same house and, you know, they just making enough to make those ends meet and pay that bill for that rent or mortgage or whatever. So they're still living together, but they just came to Jesus. What should those persons do? So they go to bed. They've been going to bed together for 10 years. What do they do? Are they saved? Well, if they really came to Jesus, guess what's gonna happen? They put Joey and Susie and Lucy and Bobby down for bed. And then they go take a shower and jump into bed. And he looks at her and she looks at him and goes, hi. And guess what? If they got, just got saved, I know, I know. Guess what just happened? The Holy Spirit says, something's different. What are you doing? You've been doing this for 10 years, but what's different now? See, the Holy Spirit starts scratching on the inside. You've been doing this a lot. But you know what? You know me now. Now you're taking me into that. What are you doing? See, the Holy Spirit, will, will he talk to you or not? Will he talk? So those persons have, they have that's a challenge, isn't it? Because the flesh is accustomed to getting what it wants. What are you going to do? So I've had those same people come in my office. I said, what's up? And I just, hey, can we get real? Are you living together? Mm-hmm. How long have you been living together? Six months, 10 years. You just came to Jesus? Mm-hmm. One of two things. Move out sleep on the couch, take cold showers. I don't care if you've had sex 5,000 times. Stop now because you're saved and get married. And I've told them, go down to the justice of the peace or well, whatever, go downtown, get your marriage license. I'll marry you. You've been living like a married couple for a long time and I've done a lot of that. Does that make sense? Is that practical? Does God still love those people? Do they still have physical desires and drives? Yes. Does the salvation take away the physical drive and desires? No. So what do you do with them? Put them where they belong. You got to put them in a box and you got to temper them. And does that make sense? So you can extrapolate that out into anything. Did I answer the question properly? Did I answer it? Pro- Who asked the question? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Huh? Yeah, I got it. But does that make sense? So, so again, the scripture here, I didn't even finish the scripture. I only got the first phrase. No one born begotten of God deliberately, knowingly, and habitually practices sin. For God's nature abides in him, his principle of life, the divine sperm, the old, the, they updated, amplified in 2015 and took the divine sperm out, uh, remains permanently within him and he cannot practice sinning because he is born or begotten of God. So, so the idea is practicing sin. So I've said to people for many, many years, if you can continue in the past that you walked in before you came to Jesus and do things that God says you should not do and have no remorse whatsoever and don't even care if you quit or not, then you need to challenge your salvation experience. Because my experience is if you're saved, you know, uh, you you do some of the things you did and all of us have done some things that we did in our BC days in our 
after Christ days. Yes or, yes or no? And you're not proud of it. It hurts. It grieves you. And it, if it doesn't grieve you, that's the issue. It's a problem. If it doesn't grieve you, it's a problem. If it doesn't grieve you, it's a problem. If you sin, yes, that's a problem, but there's forgiveness for sin. And there's mercy, right? And there's grace. And if you're struggling, you got a weak area of your flesh, just cry out and say, God, this is such a weak area for me. And I've yielded to this umpteen zillion times and I don't want to. Would you help me? Would you forgive me? And you know what he'll say? I forgive you. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be as wool. Isn't that great? I'm just glad God's the way he is, aren't you? These things I write unto you that you sin not, God, uh, John said in 1 John 2, 1. But if any man sin, we have an advocate, attorney with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he is, the King James uses the word propitiation. He is the propitiation. Modern translations now say mercy seat for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And that's a picture of the Ark of the Covenant with the blood of an animal in the Old Testament sprinkled on the mercy seat, which was the lid for the Ark of the Covenant with two big angels, uh, um, cherubim, that were overlooking it and where the presence of God came down as a fire by night and a cloud by day. And he looked over the Ark and looked over the covenant he had with his people and the blood covered their sin. So when he says he is, the, and that blood satisfies God's holy, righteous anger against rebellion. So when I say, Jesus, I have sinned. I have done what grieves you. It grieves me. It dishonors you. It hurts the body of Christ. It hurts me. It, it would hurt my family. It hurts. And God, I'm wrong and I'm sorry. And he says, and I say, I ask you to forgive me. I confess. That word confess is the Greek word homo legeo. Homo is the word for same. Uh, homogenized milk is milk where the fats, the lipids are all mixed all and homogenized into the whole carton of milk. Instead of having to scoop it off the top years ago like my grandpa did. So homo legeo means, logos is the word for word. Homo legeo means to say the same thing. That means I agree with God that what he said I did was wrong. I agree with him that it's wrong. And I agree that I must put that away from my life and I must ask forgiveness. That's confessing your sin, saying the same thing God says about it. If I do that, he'll be faithful and just. First John 1, 9 says to forgive me and to cleanse me. And then you see it goes further and the sin is, and we never use this term, is propitiated or God's righteous anger against sin is satisfied. And he's no longer angry at me because my, I failed myself. I failed the Lord. I yielded to my flesh and sinned. God says, based on Jesus' blood, I forgive you and I love you. Come here and let me hug you. Isn't that great? Whew. Doesn't that feel good? Everybody <sighs> take a deep breath. That <sighs> just feels good, right? So, you know. And again, it's not that we're all, none of us are perfect. You know, do I sin? I have sinned. Have you sinned? Every time. See, the issue is every single time you sin, 
go to God and say, I don't want that in my life. And then, you know, if you're a new believer and you have habit patterns in your life of, of whatever with your mind, with your emotions, with your body, with what you do and how you live life, then God understands those habit patterns. You have to work those out. And that's why Paul, both in the book of Colossians, the book of Ephesians, Colossians 3, Ephesians 4, he also mentions it in Romans 13. He uses the terms put off the old man or woman, put on the new man. The old man is a reference to the life I lived before I knew Jesus that was lived by the corrupt nature that was inside of me. He says, put off the old man with his appetites and desires and put on the new man. What does that mean? That means deal with the habit patterns resulting from the sin nature that lived inside of you before you're saved. It created sepsis, produced habit patterns. It has little roots and tentacles in your mind, your emotions, your will, and your body. And now that it's removed with the new birth and I become a new creature in Christ, the desire to sin is removed from our human spirit. And we have a desire to live right. We become new creatures in Christ. Old things pass away. All things become new, right? And so since we're new creatures, that new creature's on the inside, but the old creature dominated your mind, dominated your emotions, dominated your will, and dominated your physical body. And God just simply says, put it down, conquer it. And how do you do that? The only way is to get into the word. The only way is to get in the seed of the word. The word is a seed. Now, I may have time to talk about that Sunday. If not, it'll be the next Sunday. The, the word is like a seed. A seed starts small and it begins to germinate. And as long as it's in the right environment, it will grow and overwhelm the soil and then create a great big plant with some wonderful things you may like to eat. And that's just like the seed of the word. You know, um, 1 Peter chapter 2, I think it was in my blog today. He said, put away, put off anger, malice, wrath, wrath blasphemy. And, um, and he says, uh, verse 1 and verse 2 says, as newborn babes desire the sincere or unadulterated milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So what is he saying? Create an environment in your life that the word of God can grow in. Uh, Hosea uh, said Hosea ten twelve says break up your fallow ground. First time to seek the Lord. Fallow ground is unproductive ground. It's crusty ground. When I was a little boy, we had fields around my house, and this is part of my message. Either this Sunday or the next, uh, we had fields around my house that had crust. They were in the land bank, and the farmers were paid enough by the government, and the government said we don't want the X number of corn crops. Um, uh, cotton crops, soybean, etc. So we want you to put that land into the land bank, hold it, we'll pay you what you would have made on the crops if you grew them. And so around my house, we had five fields and uh, we'd have, you know, cotton over here, we'd have soybean over here. And, um, and then this, one, this field over here was, uh, was barren, and, and this one field near my house hadn't been planted for a long time, so weeds were growing. Unattended soil grows weeds, and those weeds are rascals. Unattended heart soil grows weeds. And soil that's not tilled, there's a tension film that grow, builds on top of the soil so that when the rain comes, it literally won't, allow the rain to saturate the soil. 
When I was a little boy, I'd walk into the field after a fresh spring rain. I can still see it in my mind when I'm telling you. And I looked down at the soil on that field that was in the land bank by the farmer. And, um, and the field had little beads of water all over it. The water wasn't, wasn't soaking into the soil. See, that's a heart that is hard. And so if you come to church, you get nothing out of my preaching, nothing out of my teaching. Or you listen to people online, you read your Bible in the morning and it's just like water off a duck's back or like that beady water on that tension soil. You got a hard heart. You got a hard heart. What hardens your heart? Perpetual sin hardens the human heart. And if I'm not willing to call sin what God says is sin, it will harden my heart. Now, where are the challenges? Now, I'm going to get off into a lot right now. I could. They're teaching our children. This should make you mad. They're teaching our children that you're not male or female. And you can fill in all the blanks because you know what I'm about to say. <laughs> if you're raised that way, where's your conscience? You don't have one. Yes or no? Your ability to understand right and wrong comes from your family, comes from your parents, comes from the authority figures in your life. If that's um, amalgamated with mess, what kind of chance you got? So now we've got people that don't want to hear God, that when God says, love me by obeying my word, they think God's being mean and cruel because he won't let them... Fulfill what their flesh wants to do. That's where we are, my friends. How many hear me? So y'all have got to understand like on Sunday mornings now, we got a mixed crowd here. We got lots of people that come and, um, and people are on different pages. Some people have been to church. Some people are not churched. Some people are born again. Some people are not. A lot of people, somebody was reading, who was that? It was you, that was... Uh, yeah, you were telling me that earlier. A lot, about 65%. Well, there's a high percentage of people. <laughs> Where'd you get that from? Yeah, she was reading a book. So about 65%, this person said, I guess they did a poll or whatever, 65% of the people that go to church on Sunday morning say they're saved really aren't. It kind of agrees with what Jesus said in Matthew 7. Narrow is or confined is the way that leads to life and few there be that go therein. So again, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, enters the kingdom of heaven. So just because they go to church doesn't mean that church is in me or that Jesus is in me, right? So we just got a different playing field now. I have to be very plain. I have to be very simple. Uh, so y'all pray for me. My challenge on Sundays, I'm getting off a little bit, but I'm still on the same subject, is, is to present the word in a way that it challenges the person that's been in God for 40 years but hasn't known the Lord, but, it, but also ministers to the person that doesn't know the Lord or hasn't known the Lord but just a brief period of time. Does that make sense? That's, a, that's really hard to do, and uh, it takes a lot of thinking and praying and listening to the Holy Spirit. So... Um, but we're living in a different culture. I, I have to tell you, I, I've told my staff team, and I think I've said it to y'all, we have lost ground in America. 
I've been in ministry since 1981 and the things I used to preach, I can't even preach them right now because people don't understand it. 20 years ago they did, but not now, not in this environment. And whose responsibility is that? The pastor's. What are the pastors preaching and teaching in churches? And what has given the people in America permission to do what God says is an absolute abomination? It has to be the church. We have to take responsibility. So I'm praying about all that and I got to do my part. Does that make sense? So anyway, there's my long answer. One more. Well, one more and we'll stop. Anybody got anything else? Oh. Well, you got all the questions. What is they, this? They text me. So. Oh, they're texting. <laughs> they're, they're texting me. Okay. Um, the last question that I received on text was, what happens to the people who get left behind after the rapture? Those that are, you know, believers. Y'all remember that song back in 19, it came out in 1975. Larry Norman, life was filled with guns and war and everyone lay trampled on the floor. I wish they'd all been ready. Children died, the days grew cold. A piece of bread would buy a bag of gold. Y'all heard that song? I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. How could you have been so blind? The father spoke, the demons dying. The son is coming, you've been left behind. Uh, who the pop, the, uh, Back in the 90s, a band picked that up. Who was that? Who is it? No, uh, a band. What's the name of the band? D.C. Tall, they did it, that's right. So anyway, so, uh, so what about those people? Uh, they got hell on wheels to deal with. All right, so you got a spouse, you got children, you got relatives, you got friends, co-workers. They don't know the Lord. At some point during that seven years of hellish time before Jesus comes back and it gets progressively worse by year, the rapture occurs, you're out of here if you know Jesus. They get left behind. What happens to them? Well, I uh, taught this in the book of Revelation. So you've got the seals broken on the scroll in God's right hand. You've got trumpet judgments and bowl judgments. The trumpet judgments last probably about two-ish years. The very last of the seven years that Daniel saw, the very end of the age before Christ returns. About two of those years... So I say once, uh, once this time that people usually call the tribulation starts, we've got anywhere from four to five years before the rapture occurs. Now, see, some people believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. I give you permission to believe that. I believe that and preached it for 25 plus years, but I haven't preached it since 2010 because in that subject, I had an epiphany. I had a... God dealt with me and it woke me up and I saw something I'd never seen before. And I, I ate crow, told my congregation at the time, I no longer believe what I've been preaching for 25 years. And uh, so, but you may still believe that. Good, I'm happy. I really hope you're right. On the way up, I'll say, yeah, I'm glad, you, I'm so glad you're right and I was wrong. But the problem is if vice versa is right and I'm right and they're wrong. Some people are going to be really upset when the, when the stuff hits the fan and life gets hard. So anyway, what happens to those people? Um, Revelation 8 is the trumpet's judgments. The last seal on the scroll in God's right hand is opened. 
There's quietness for 30 minutes in heaven, Revelation 8. A trumpet is blown by an angel. And then seven other trumpets are blown. And during those successive trumpet blowings, it looks like meteorites hit the earth. And some, to summarize that time, probably at least three to four billion people die. A hellish death because the environment's changed. The water's polluted. The air's polluted. The sun is burning their skin. It's just a horrible time. Nobody wants to live. And then demons come up out of a pit from the center of the earth and attack people with all kinds of sores and mess. It's a terrible thing. Nothing good to say about that. Can people be saved during that time? Yeah, but they'll probably uh, give their life. So it's a really tough time. If you know somebody that is not saved, I'd tell them about Jesus now, even if they don't like you. Say, can I just share some value, personal values that I have? I like you. You were my coworker. You're my friend. You're my aunt, my uncle. You're my brother, my father. My... Just here's what I believe, and I want you to believe that because I believe the only way to heaven is what Jesus said. I'm the way, the truth, the life, and I want you to go to heaven before this stuff happens. People know something's up right now, and everybody knows that Life ain't the same. And I don't know that it's going back to normal. We have, may have a pseudo-normal, but it's not going to last a long time because I know what the Bible says. So we need to be praying. I've got 10 people I pray for every single day. Do you? Maybe you've got more than that. I hope you, but I mean, every day I'm believing God for them to be saved. And I'm praying, I'm calling their name and saying, God, I'm expecting them to meet me in heaven. And I'm asking God to send people to share Jesus with them. And I'm asking God to draw them to himself. And I'm telling the devil, take your hands off their mind in Jesus' name. But I pray for them every day. And you should be doing that for people you really care about and asking God to open up opportunities for you to talk to them. Because it's really a serious time. Anyway, that's all I got. Is that good? Anyway, I could keep talking. Y'all can tell. I like to talk. So uh, let's just, come on, y'all. Lift your hands up with me. Lord. Prepare us for the days ahead of us. We love you. Lord, we don't want to sin. We don't want to do wrong. We want to live right. We want to be right. And we want the people we know and love to go to heaven with us. Lord, you see all the people in this room, the people that are watching either now or in the future. You see our struggles. You see what we do in the dark. You see our thoughts. You see our frailty, our weakness. Let your grace come on each person. Let your grace overwhelm us. Let your love overwhelm us. Help us to want what you want. Help us to want to live the way that pleases you and get your eye, get your attention. Help us to want to seek first the kingdom of God. Help us to not want to do wrong. Help us to not have a hard heart. And Lord, if there's any hard parts of our life because we've constantly missed it in certain areas, let your grace come and heal the hard places. And Lord, make us an evangelist. Make us a blessing to people that don't know you. Cause people, Lord, to ask questions about why we're, we sing, why we hum, why we seem to be happy, why we have joy. And Lord, give us opportunities to share you with people that don't know you. Lord, bring the people in our sphere of influence. Bring them into the message of the gospel and use us to bless people. Use us, Lord. 
you know, I just have a sense from the Holy Ghost. It's like everybody in the room's probably a, a believer, but you may be watching and you don't know the Lord. You know, I just can't tell you. You know, you've been, uh, you've been hurt. Life is full of pain. Somebody's watching, and this is in the future, and you're watching this video, and you just happened on our church site. And uh, you've had some real hard things that happened in your life, and you've blamed God. God is not the problem. Jesus Christ said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. The thief's come after your family. He's come after your siblings. And he's made life for you a living hell. God can change it. But you've got to stop blaming God. He's not your problem. He's your solution. He's the solution to your problem. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You say, God, even if you're angry, say, God, I'm angry, help me. You'll ask him to help you, he will. Would everybody in the room pray with me? You, you, you want Jesus? I'll help you find him. In your humbleness, in your hurt, in your pain. If you'll just cry out, he'll meet you. You say, but I've got a hard heart. I was that way too. And he melted my heart. And he changed me. I used to think I was the worst person in my whole family. And maybe you feel that way. Jesus can change you. Pray with me. I beg you, pray with me. You may never have another chance to pray this way. But God's speaking to you because he loves you so very, very much. For God so loved the world. He gave his son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You can have it. Pray with me. That's right. Everybody in the room, pray with me. Heavenly Father, I need you. I hurt. Life is painful and I have sinned. Forgive me for my judgments. Forgive me for my anger. Forgive me for my sin. Jesus, come into my life. Change who I am. Change what I want deep inside. I give my life to you. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead. I invite you into my life and I place my will in your hands and I say, change me. Beginning today, change me in Jesus' name. Hallelujah.